0: Well, good morning. I just want to take a second and say something about the BBS week and then this as well. Um, To all of you who gave time this week, to Miss Lauren, wherever she's at, who gave months of prep work, um, you may not see it now because you were exhausted all day and then coming to BBS at night or you were wiping noses and doing potty breaks and telling kids a million times to pay attention, but you were making a kingdom difference. This week. Um, it was significant. And I know Lauren said she's thankful. We're all we're so thankful for you, the time you gave, the energy you gave. Um, there were kids here that were meeting Jesus for the first time. And that's that's a big deal. So thank you for that. And for our FCA kiddos from Pleasantville, and for the other youth here who have done youth worship nights, you guys blow me away. Um, I don't think I could have done what you are doing when I was your age. The passion you have for Jesus and the way that you just so recklessly share Jesus with your friends. Um, You are bringing the kingdom. You are incredible. We are so proud of you guys. Um, Yeah. And I could talk about kids and youth all day and I would stand up here and I would cry because I just love them so much, but we have a message to get to, so we're going to move on. Um, We are picking it up today in Philippi. Uh, If you were here last week, Matt talked about Paul and Silas and how they arrived in Philippi and met a woman named Lydia. Uh, He talked about how the Lord himself opened her heart to hear the words that Paul was saying, and because of that, her entire household was changed. They were all baptized, and they all accepted Christ. So the passage I've got today is actually the next um, step uh, in this journey. It's a lot of verses. So I'm just going to walk us through it Um, rather than read it to you. We'll come back to the verses, but I just want to give you kind of a sense of what was happening in this story. So Paul and Silas are headed to the place of prayer. And the Bible tells us that they had this young woman who was following them around. And this young woman was a slave. And she had an evil spirit within her that was allowing her to fortune tell. So her owners were making a lot of money off of her because she was able to do this. She was following them around and she was saying, these two are men of God and they are telling you the way to salvation. So what she was saying wasn't bad, but the Bible tells us that Paul got annoyed, which I think is funny. I actually looked up this particular line in all the different translations because I was like, annoyed, really? Is that just kind of a common and some of them said um, that he was grieved or he was troubled, he was bothered, but most of them said Paul was annoyed. Um, so he turned around and he just said, get out of her. He just told the spirit to leave her, and it did. Um, but then what happened was her owners, who had been making all of this money off of her, got pretty upset because they realized that they would no longer have that income coming in. So they seized Paul and Silas and they drug them out to the marketplace. They put them in front of the magistrates, and they said, these guys are throwing the city into an uproar with what they're doing. So everybody started attacking them. Um, They were stripping them. They were beating them. The Bible says they were flogged, and they were taken to prison. And they told the jailer, keep these guys under maximum security. We don't want them let out. So he put them in an inner cell. Their feet went into stocks. They, yeah, it wasn't a good situation for them. Um, The jailer knew his life depended on keeping them in prison. So it's about midnight, and Paul and Silas begin to pray and worship, and an earthquake happens, and it not only frees Paul and Silas, but every other jail or every other prisoner in that jail. Um, all of the, the gates open up. The jailer comes in, unsure, like, what had just happened. He panics, knows that he's responsible and is about to take his life, and Paul says, no, we are all here. Please don't take your life. And so the jailer says, what do I have to do to be saved? So Paul shares with him about Jesus. The jailer gives his life over to Christ. They take Paul and Silas home to their home, clean them up, feed them meal. Their whole family is saved. So this is an incredible story of a miraculous event um, that God used to change lives. And there's a lot here. (laughs) So um, we're just going to dive right in. The first thing I want to point out, I hope we realize, is that Paul and Silas are kind of in a worst-case scenario here. They've been beaten. They're probably bloody, sore. They're probably exhausted from their journeys, Um, hungry, tired, all all of those things. And what do we see that they are choosing to do at midnight? So we're going to go to the scripture. This is verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So, a few things I want to point out here. First of all, Paul and Silas were praying. And I think that's something really easy we can just glaze right over. Um, But imagine being where they were. In this worst case scenario, I would have been exhausted. I would have just wanted to go to sleep. Say, let's just pick this up in the morning. We'll regroup. We'll figure out what we're going to do tomorrow. But they were communing with their father because they felt that was the most important thing for them to do in that moment. More important than resting more important than trying to heal up, they just were going to their father. And in their prayers, this led them to worship. They were singing hymns, which would have been, I think, um, just seeing attributes of God, who he is, his goodness and um, his faithfulness, the ways that he had showed up in the past. They were reminding themselves, trying to restore their faith in this moment. And the other thing I think important, is important here is that the other prisoners were listening. Uh, I think that's key that the Bible tells us that. Whatever Paul and Silas were saying or singing, uh, it caught these other people's attention. And then in verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because he thought the prisoners had escaped, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Paul and Silas could have run, uh, but they didn't. I'm not super surprised that they didn't. I mean, it's Paul and Silas. These are amazing guys. They are giving their lives for the gospel. Um, so that, that's not too surprising to me. What does surprise me is that no one else left. There were other prisoners in that jail. Why did they not leave? Why did they not take that opportunity to just scoot on out of there? And I wonder if there was a connection for them between what they were hearing from Paul and Silas and then their newfound freedom that was right in front of them. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs. What must I need to do to be saved? So the jailer saw something was going on. He knew there was a connection between these two guys and the fact that all these doors had just opened up. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So there's a definite miracle that happened in this story. And if you would have asked me two weeks ago what that miracle was, I would have said it was the earthquake. I don't know if anybody else would have said that same thing. And that was a big movement of God. But today, this morning, after sitting in this for the last week, I'm going to suggest that the miracle wasn't the earthquake. The miracle was the fact that the jailer and his entire family accepted Christ. Um, I think that's the miracle. I think that was the goal. I think that was God's plan in this because I think God knew the jailer. I think he, he knew him before he was born. He knew his family. He knew his comings and his goings. He knew his struggles where he battled sin and God saw him. And I don't think we see people very well, very often. I think... Um, we miss things. As humans, we drop the ball all the time. Um, We're not always super willing to sacrifice our time and our energy and our resources to help people who don't know Jesus. But God doesn't drop the ball. Um, He always sees, and he works alongside people who are willing to just open themselves up and say, um, however you need to use me, God, to move your gospel. Um, I think Paul and Silas being in prison gave God the opportunity to move for that jailer. That was, the, that was the open opportunity. And Paul was so tuned into God. He knew him so well and he was so in it. He was so invested um, in the mission that even in his worst case scenario, God was able to work through him to perform that miracle. I think it was more important for Paul to share his faith than to worry about whether or not he was gonna get out of jail. So I've been asking myself this week, could or would God work through me like this? I think he could, and I think he'd love to. I think the problem is whether or not I would let him. Um, maybe when things are going really well in my life and I'm feeling strong and confident, but how about when things are hard? Or if I'm in a worst-case scenario. I don't even know if I've been in a worst-case scenario yet at this point in my life. Um, but do I put myself in a posture where I just hold out my hands and I say, okay, God, anything you need to do to me to further your kingdom, I'm open to it. I'm willing. I will do what it takes. Or would I be so focused on my comforts, my security, or the battle that I'm in that I wouldn't even see what God's trying to do me through me because I'd be running out of that jail so fast. I think what I've landed on this week is I just want to be more like Paul in this account. Um... His faith, his passion, his courage. Um, that was really confirmed for me because I'm in no place to stand up here this morning and tell you how to do this really well. I'm just not. So I'm going to humbly stand up here this morning and I'm just going to take you on the journey that God took me on this week with this passage. And I'm going to hope that something that lifted for me may, may lift for you as well. Um, because I had a really, really hard time writing this message. And I, I mean, writing messages isn't easy, But I've never struggled like I did with this one um, because I actually wrote two completely different messages. Um, I saw Andrew at VBS on Thursday and he was like, so how's it going, how'd you do? And I explained, I'm like, I am in such a mess, I have these two completely opposite directions that we could take this and he was like, this is like a choose your own adventure kind of Sunday. And in my head, I'm like, no, really, like, that's what it is. Because even up until yesterday, I was still going back and forth between the two. So the first was to just talk about how do we do this? How do we share the gospel really well? Like, practical ways, how do we do it? Um, Because we could see how Paul and Silas sacrificed their comforts, gave up things to move forward the word of God. Um, But then we also see how prayer and worship led to this miraculous movement of God, so very, two very different angles, both could very easily be an entire sermon in themselves. So I, I was just struggling. But I had a nudge early on in my prep, early last week, that God did want me to take this in the direction of how do we share the gospel. Um, and I actually had this thought cross my mind. I thought, okay, if I'm going to challenge you guys this week to share your faith, to go out every day and share with somebody, then I probably need to do this. So I'm going to do an experiment this week. Every day... I'm going to make sure that I really boldly tell one person about Jesus, like super evangelism type stuff. And it freaked me out. I am a total introvert. So I had every excuse in the book. I was like, wow, this week is super busy. I just, I work at a church. Like my coworkers, they're all saved. Like all my friends go to church and My husband, he works in the workplace. Like, he goes to the grocery store. He does all of those things. So why would God be directing me in this direction? It just didn't make a lot of sense, right? But maybe I'm supposed to take it in the direction of prayer and worship. So even though that contradicts what I said before when I said I think it was the jailer being saved that was the point of the story. But I ignored that. I was like, nah, let's go this way. Let's go prayer and worship because... um, I mean, Paul and Silas were going worshipfully. And Andrew even named today's message, let's go worshipfully, right? So it would have made total sense. But I kept getting the feeling that that was maybe the more easier, more easy, more comfortable route for me to go. I've talked about worship before. I could do that again. I could get up here and do that. So I wrote this whole message about worship. How we do it, why we do it, what happens when we do it, what stops us from doing it and then I was at home on Thursday just trying to figure out how to wrap it up and I was sitting in front of my computer and I was like God I need you just to talk to me what I had written I felt like it was okay it would have been fine um, but I just felt like this is not what I'm supposed to be teaching on And but then I was thinking well but I didn't do the experiment right I completely failed at that so who would I be to stand up here and talk to you about it so I I was literally like looking at the ceiling at my desk and I was just like god I need you to, you need to say something whatever you say I will write it down and I will say it and then bloop on my computer is an email like it was one of those moments like really like it just popped right up and it was from somebody who was a regular tender here still very connected to Celebrate and she sent a link to an interview to several of us on staff and she said hey guys I just had a nudge that I was supposed to send this to you. She said it goes along with the series that you're in. So I was like, okay, God, she got a nudge. I was just asking, I get it. So I opened it up and this interview was an hour and 45 minutes. And I was like, really God, like I am trying to finish up this message. You've got to be kidding me. I I need to get this done. And then I was like, okay, I get it. You're talking to me. So I opened it up and I watched it. and this interview was done by a pastor named Jack Hibbs, who pastors a church in California. And one of his attendees is Barry McGuire. Does that name mean anything to anybody? Anybody know the name Barry McGuire? <clears throat> okay, good. Oh, Judd, of course. Um, we're gonna put up the logo of Barry's company, okay? Anybody recognize that? Raise your hand if you, oh, we got a couple more, okay a lot of guys, a couple women. Let's put up the products that he sells. Anybody recognize this stuff? Anybody have this in your garage in your car wash bucket? Okay. My dad's a car guy. So once I saw that, I was like, oh, I know this guy. Um, So Barry goes to Jack's church and Jack was interviewing him. He's in his eighties and he was so fun to listen to. He is just full of the, if you talk about people who are just full of the joy of the Lord, he is one. So he was just, It was fun, just listening to him speak. I wish I could just show you the video, but obviously, two hours, can't do that. So I'm just gonna give you the gist of what this interview is about. Um, Barry and his wife have been sharing the gospel every single day for the last 50 years, every day. Um, He talked about how early on, he actually um, was struggling with whether or not he should actually go into full-time ministry. Even though he was third-generation owner to his company, he considered leaving the business world to be a full-time pastor, but he got a really clear from the Lord, nope, you are supposed to stay in your business because that's how you are going to reach people. So he did. Um, But he talked about how he and his wife belonged to a church. They um, did all the things. They were in classes Sunday, Wednesdays, they were at church, they served, and they just weren't experiencing the joy of the Lord. He said, we were happy, very happy, but we were missing that joy. So he said, we started to pray for it. We just ask God, this is what we want. And not very long after that, he actually ended up at a dinner party with another man. And he said, that man had the joy of the Lord. And he said, when I talked to him for over the course of about an hour, he said, I realized it was because this man is all about sharing his faith, talking about Jesus. Um, So they began doing that. And um, he found that he was actually living in the favor of God, is what he says, um, after a few years, he said, of sharing their faith, it became addictive because it was so exciting to see the way the Lord was moving um, for people. And they, they still had bad things happen in their life, Barry and his wife. Um, he had his business almost taken out from under him. They lost their daughter tragically in her late 40s. Barry got really sick and almost died. But So they weren't immune to those hard things that happen in life because they were living in the favor of the Lord, just like Paul wasn't immune to hard things happening, Um, but he was living in the joy of the Lord, and Barry and his wife are doing that. And he says his motto is, every day, everyone gets one step closer to God. That's his goal. Every day, he gets everyone that he encounters one step closer to the Lord, which goes so far beyond my, hey, guys, let's try one person a day this next week. Um, But in everything he does, every conversation, every interaction, um, every decision he has to make, he makes it about Jesus and whoever else is with him, getting them one step closer to Jesus in the process. I don't know if we do this. Maybe some of you do this really well. I don't do this very well. Um, But he shared example after example of ways that they just did this Effortless, effortless, effortlessly. He talked about waitresses when they go to a restaurant. Every time they sit down to eat, whoever the server is, when they come up, they say, "We're going to be praying for our meal here in just a second. Is there anything that we can pray for you for today?" He talked. To, he had this story about a cab driver that was just crazy, um, and I can't tell you the whole story, but essentially, from the time they got picked up to the time they dropped off, this cab driver, this person who was swearing at them and doing all of these things by the end said, I need Jesus. And they, when they got to their location, the three of them were outside of the cab praying together. Just incredible, incredible stuff like that. If you ever want to be inspired about how to share your faith, let me know, and I'll send you that video, because it was so worth two hours of my day. Um, but Barry actually mentioned William Booth, um, He didn't share what I'm gonna share, but when he said his name, it sent me down this rabbit trail as I was preparing. So I don't know if you know who William Booth is. Um, He and his wife actually founded the Salvation Army. He was an English pastor, um, passed away in the early 1900s, like 1912. Um, But William had a vision uh, on one of his travels, and it's what actually inspired him to start the Salvation Army. So I wanna share Um, part of it with you because this really moved me and it kind of gave me an urgency um, to move in this direction today about talking about the gospel. So William was on a train, he was going on a trip, and as he's looking out the window of the train, he just started thinking about all the people in his life that he knew that um, were just kind of carelessly, openly, shamelessly living in rebellion of God. Um, and just that they had no regard for what was going to happen to them after death, uh, what their eternity would look like. And so, as he was thinking about that, he started thinking of the millions of people across the world who were living for work, politics, um, the troubles of the world. Like that, that was their focus. And as he was thinking about all of that, this is the vision that came to him. I'm just going to share, like I said, part of it, uh, because it's it's kind of long. But basically, what he saw was a dark, stormy ocean. Waves crashing, thunder, lightning, black. Um, And he saw people in the water who were struggling to stay at the surface. Um, He said they were screaming, they were shrieking, they were calling out for help. He would see some go under the water and not resurface. And then he saw a, what he said was like a rock coming out of the ocean, a huge rock with a platform all around it. And I want to put up a painting. Um, And this painting was not done by William Booth, but um, by an artist who heard the vision. And this is what he came up with, kind of his rendition. And he actually titled it, Who Cares? Um, He said, William said he could see people in the water trying to get out of the water. Some were actually climbing about. He saw people who were leaning down trying to help pull people out of the water. Um, He said as he looked closer, he saw people who had actually been rescued that were up on the platform putting together ladders and ropes and boats, things that they could get back out into the water to bring people out. And he said he was really moved by those people in his vision. But then he's noticed lots of other people up on the platform who seemed to not even notice what was going on in the water. And he said he had this sense that the people on the platform that weren't paying attention, some of the people in the water were their aunts and their uncles and their cousins and their spouses and their kids. So they were people that they knew in the water, and they still had no regard for what was going on. In fact, they were planting flowers and... Um, like having business conversations and fishing and playing music, going out to eat. Um, So this next part, we're gonna leave this up here just for a little bit so you can keep looking at that. But I wanna read this next part to you. These are his um, direct words. He said, but the thing to me that seemed the most amazing was that those on the platform to whom he called, to whom Jesus called, who heard his voice, and felt they ought to obey it, at least they said they did. Those who confessed to love him much and were in full sympathy with him in the task that he had undertaken. Who worshipped him or who, prof- or who professed to do so. They were so taken up by their trades and professions. Their money savings and pleasures. Their families and circles. Their religions and their arguments about religion and their preparation for going to the mainland, which I think he's meaning heaven, that they did not listen to the cry that came from this wonderful being, Jesus, who had himself gone down into the sea. Now this next part really convicted me because it talks about those on the platform who were actually praying to Jesus, crying out for him to come to them. Some on the platform wanted him to come and stay with them and spend his time and strength making them happier. Others wanted him to come and take away various doubts and misgivings they had concerning the truth of what he had written. Some wanted him to come and make them feel more secure on the rock, so secure that they would be quite sure that they would never slip off again into the ocean. It's a pretty powerful vision to imagine, Um, and what I don't want you to hear is that God does not want us to talk to him, because that's not the case at all. God wants the kind of relationship where we are coming to him with our hopes and our dreams and our desires and our wants and our fears. He wants that from us, but if that's all we're doing, if that's the only way we talk to God, it's a pretty powerful image, I think. Because, friends, we know people in the water who are drowning. Um, Some of us are standing on the platform, just watching them drown. And we think, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them at some point. Or somebody else will get through to them. Or I'll pray that someone else gets through to them. And then they slip under the water, and sometimes they don't resurface. So I've been thinking, am I ready to stand before God And let him know why I didn't stick my hand down there and pull somebody out. So one of the things, we can go ahead and take that down. Uh, One of the things that I've been processing this week is what are the barriers for me personally um, with sharing my faith? Why do I struggle with that sometimes? I think it's just not knowing what to say. Worrying about how people will respond. Am I going to offend them? Are they going to think that I'm judging them? Are they going to ask questions that maybe I can't answer? Um, I think it's not natural, especially for us introverts, to strike up a conversation about anything, let alone sharing our faith. But I think what we have to recognize is that it's not supposed to be natural. It's supernatural. And that's why the Holy Spirit steps in. We know in um, Mark 13, Luke 12, it tells us that... We don't have to prepare ahead for those conversations. Um, That the Holy Spirit is going to give us exactly what we need in those moments. We just have to trust. Um, And I think it's important to go back to what Matt talked about last week. And the fact that God was the one that opened Lydia's heart to receive the word. It wasn't Paul. Paul didn't save her. God did. God is the one that saves. We, We aren't doing that. All we can do is just be open to the ways God is nudging us and the ways that he's needing us to say, okay, Lord, how are you going to use me today? Who are you going to use me to move? we got to follow those nudges. Because Satan wants to silence us. He wants to make us so uncomfortable. and He wants to make it so hard for us to share that we just are quiet. Um, He wants us to doubt ourselves. He wants to distract us and keep us so busy that sharing our faith list, I'll just do that tomorrow. I'll figure out a way to do that later. But more Christians, this is what I read, more Christians pray about someone's salvation than actually lead someone to Christ. I saw all all different kinds of stats, ranging from about 1% to 10%, but somewhere between 1% and 10% of Christians actually share their faith, which is just not enough, especially when we're all, all of us are called to do that. So how did Paul and Silas do it? Uh, you have to remember that they knew so well the goodness of God. They were um, seeing miracles. They were casting out demons. They were seeing healings happening on a regular basis. And so for them, it was worth going through what they were going through to spread the news. Um, Do we comprehend today how good this news is for us? Or are we so busy with life that we just kind of glaze over it? I think we are so distracted today. And I think that's an intentional tool of the enemy, is distraction. If I can just keep them busy, just busy enough with good things, wonderful things, I'll keep them busy, and I'm going to keep them from sharing their faith. So I've been super convicted lately. I feel like God's putting in front of me all the time, blogs, posts, um, podcasts, all those kind of things about being a lukewarm Christian and how dangerous that can be. Um, Just feeling like, if, if I go to church every once in a while, or if I... Fall asleep praying at night, or if I say I'm a Christian, that's good enough, right? Friends, it's it's not good enough, and I'm. It scares me to say that to you because I don't want you to think I'm judging you. I am talking to myself up here, just as much as I am saying this to you. Um, most Christians believe that being a good person is their witness, so that's their way to share the gospel: is by being a good person. Being a good person's great but that's not how we share, share the gospel. Um, a lot of Christians believe that doing those good things gets us to heaven, and that's just not, not true either. So are we aware of what he's done? Or like, are we really, really aware of it? Or do we just know it? Is it just head knowledge? Do we do anything with it? Do we love our family and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors enough to take a risk Tell them about the gospel. um, And not just tell them so they know it, but have them live it out, because that's the key. This series is called Let's Go. And every time I see the imagery, since the beginning, actually, I don't know why, but I've had this in my, like, let's go! Come on! Like, with an urgency, that's how I hear it when I see it up there. Let's go! Let's do this! Um, We've got some spunky people out here. Not so much today, but... Usually we have some spunky people who are like, come on, or amen, yes, hallelujah. Are we so excited about this good news that we're willing to shout out during a message? Thanks, Ricky. (laughs) Are we willing to raise our hands in worship and not worry about what people think around us? Are we worried about getting on our knees in front of the Lord? Um, Are we willing to say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Is there anything I can pray specifically are we willing to do that? Or are we too afraid? My, uh, my youngest, Easton, he's 11, and he asked me recently, hey, Mom, um, how do I get closer to God like you guys? He was referring to you because he sits in here in worship and he watches you raise your hands. He watches you cry. Mainly Emily, I think. <laughs> no, Judd? No? Okay. Anyways, he wants to be more like that. He sees the... You are close to God because of those things. And he said, do you think anybody would care if I raise my hands, mom? And I said, bud, do you care when anybody else raises their hands? And he said, no. And I said, well, I think you're good. I think you can do it. He just needed permission. He has seen, and he even told me this, when his sisters go off to that youth group age, they get a little more free in worship. And he said, do I have to be a certain age? Do I have to be at Celebrate Youth to do that? I'm like, no, bud, you don't. Uh, one of the kids I was here at VBS last week, one of his friends, actually, one of Easton's friends, was talking to him after VBS week was over, and I, I'm pretty sure their uh, family does not go to church, um, but this little boy said that he prayed and asked God to forgive him for something that he had done. I'm not going to tell you what he did, but he had asked God to forgive him, and he said, Easton, I told God, if you're going to forgive me, would you pinch me right here? And he felt a sting on his back, and it just blew him away. That God was real, and that God could actually talk to him. I don't think this is just kids. I read that some 80% of people who are unchurched are very open to the fact that God is real. They are just waiting for someone to tell them about him. And of those 80%, the majority have at least one Christian in their life who they deeply trust. I think this series can be so instrumental. If we are willing to move, if we are willing to go, and we don't have to. God isn't forcing us. We can stay on that platform and live our lives with the blessings he gives us. We can do that. But if we are, we are missing the Great Commission. We're missing what we are called to do as Christians. But if we let these videos inspire us, um, if we pay attention to those nudges, we can literally help pull people up onto the platform with us. Um, one of the things that Barry McGuire said a lot in his interview was to follow the nudge and live in the fog Follow the nudge, live in the fog. And the first couple times he said this, I was like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." Because when we follow those nudges by God, a lot of the times it is foggy. We don't know, you know, what necessarily we're going to say or how people are going to respond or how they're going to take that. Um, but then I realized, almost for the end of the interview, that fog for him is an acronym which stands for favor of God. So follow the nudge live in the favor of God. When we follow the promptings of the Lord, when we follow those nudges, we get to the place where he's working all things for our good. Um, And that's when Barry and his wife started to live in that place where they were just full of the joy of the Lord, even in hard times, even in worst-case scenarios. So if we ask, how did Paul and Silas do it? How do Barry and his wife do it? It's because they found the joy of the Lord. Um, They are... Living in his favor every day, everybody one step closer to Jesus. So, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. Um, I just want to spend a little time praying, um, letting you talk to God. I feel like maybe some of you, as we've been talking this morning, have had somebody come to mind for you that you can meet. Um, So we're just going to spend a little time praying for that person, or if maybe you haven't thought of anyone that God would bring someone to mind for us this morning. So let's pray. So Jesus, thank you that you jump off the platform for us every day. Thank you for pulling us out of the water and giving us the chance To live forever with you. God, we just, we're just gonna spend the next few moments in quiet. Would you bring to mind, maybe it's a a picture of a face, maybe it's a name, God, of who we can partner with you to make sure they know the goodness of who you are? and what you've done. So God, would you make us bold? Would you give us courage? Thank you that you don't leave us alone to do this on our own, but that you promise that you'll be with us every step of the way, God. So I pray for divine appointments this week. I pray that you would be going ahead of us, that you would be preparing hearts. I pray, God, that lives would be changed this week in the weeks to come as we step out in faith as we share the good news of what you've done we want to look to you now we want to worship you for who you are for all of the good things that you give us for the, for the hard things that we have to walk through that you're there with us through God we praise you we worship you and we do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.